once that happened, they just decided to, to make the leap. And I think that's what scares a lot of people. I think people are, are a little bit more apprehensive to leave what they're doing and take a couple steps back to maybe take a few steps forward. And I think that's why there's a lot of entrepreneurs who don't succeed. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. Something that we often take for granted living here in Michigan are the great outdoors. From the Great Lakes to the Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes, we are extremely blessed to have these pristine resources right in our backyard. This is partially possible from the work of countless companies which strive to protect these great wonders. Today's guest, Mike Schutte, and his company, GCI Water Solutions, are one of them. We're going to dive into how his company is helping solve these tough wastewater issues and learn how Mike was successfully able to pivot his career from one in banking to one in clean energy. So welcome, Mike, to Mint Money. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's go dive right in. So you have quite the career and education background, including stops in three states, a bachelor's degree from CMU, Fire Up Chips, MBA from University of Florida, and also being recognized as one of the top employees at one of the largest banks in the world. At what point did you consider starting a new company, which is a GCI Water Solutions? And was there a specific opportunity that you saw within the industry? And then also, what gave you the courage to make a pivot in your career too? I think that one of the things that I really enjoyed in the corporate America world was the difference to those of being part of something that's a little more structured. And my time at JP Morgan was wonderful. I learned a ton of stuff. I had a lot of fun learning the banking business. I had a lot of fun meeting the clients that we were working with. And ironically enough, one of our old clients turned out to be one of our seed investors and is still an investor in our company to this day. So I think that the experience obviously happened for a reason and put those people in my life. So I think that I got to a point where I got a little bit of burnout. I was doing fairly well. I was pretty successful. And I got to the point where I was just kind of burnt out and I started thinking to myself, man, I wonder if I should go home and work with our family business because we've got a family business, which is a chain of retail stores and just kind of started pondering on that. And then I I think it was 2015 when my brother-in-law came to me with an idea. He's a chemical engineer and also my business partner in GCI. And he came to me and brought this idea of how do we treat this production water, this production water issue in the oil and gas industry, which for those who don't know is the water that comes up after oil and water is separated from uh, oil or gas well. And it really got me thinking. And I started watching all of my clients at JP Morgan. And I was looking at one of the common denominators of all those clients was they're, most of them had built something, grown it, and sold it. And we were working with families who were 5 to $20 million in net worth. And I started thinking to myself, man, it's kind of ironic that all of these people have figured something out. They've built something, they've sold it, and here they are working with me. And so I want to do that. And so it's at the bank for almost 10 years. And so I was kind of just a little bit tired of that. I started talking with my brother-in-law, Josh, and we kind of started putting together a business plan. And once we had it, 
I started thinking about who would be a good investor. And knowing all of these people that I did at JP Morgan through the bank, I approached a couple of them and ended up getting some seed money. And once that happened, I decided to make the leap. And I think that's what scares a lot of people. I think people are a little bit more apprehensive to leave what they're doing and take a couple steps back to maybe take a few steps forward. And I think that's why there's a lot of entrepreneurs who don't succeed. And so just touching upon that last point a little bit more, at what point when you were talking with your brother-in-law, Josh, in that particular case for GCI, did you think and say, this idea is really good. I really think that I should be able to go pivot my career from one point to another. Was it a long process to be able to go take that in and kind of let that boil and let that simmer down a little bit? I don't quite recall exactly what the timing was on it. I mean, it's one of those things where it's really kind of this like fantasy world until you actually figure out that there is actually an opportunity. I mean, most of these businesses are just people dreaming about stuff and like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And I remember we got to a point where we put together a business plan. We were looking at kind of validating the market and the market was so big that we didn't even need to scratch the surface of it in order to build a profitable company. And one of the other unique things is that there wasn't, and there still isn't anybody who's really doing what we're doing. And again, we're an early stage company, so we're not nationwide or not widely known, but in our market, we're doing something that nobody else can do. And once that scale comes, it's going to be a very, very interesting time for our company. But I just kind of looked at it and said, look, like there's a lot of opportunity here. And we didn't have it quite figured out at the time. And we always think you do and you really don't. And to your point, we've pivoted our company multiple times just in, in minor areas, but we started as mobile wastewater treatment where we were going to go out to the wells and treat at the wells. And then we turned into something that was a little more centralized. And then we figured, thought we were just going to kind of pre-treat this water. And then now we're going to full desalination. And now we're actually pivoting to being able to harvest the minerals out of this water and actually turn our waste into marketable revenue streams. And so there's been a ton of pivots. But to answer that question, I don't exactly know when it was when I did. I think it's really one of those things where it's like you have to take a leap of faith and just kind of jump right in to the deep end and hopefully you, you float. <laughs> Good advice. And so could you explain in simple terms what GCI does? And then I think you also talked a little bit in the prior answer, what makes your company unique, but do you mind touching upon a little bit about that opportunity that you saw too? So GCI basically focuses on the environmentally friendly aspect of treating production water from oil and gas wells. So we've designed a stack of technology and a process that actually allows oil and gas operators to deliver us their water, their production water, where we treat the water, we bring it to a fresh, clean state, and then handle all of the waste and handle all of the discharge from that, from kind of point of view. So we're really as a full service provider for water. And so as these operators of oil and gas wells out in Pennsylvania, as they pump their wells and they separate their water, that water in Pennsylvania is considered a waste product. And so they need to do something with it. And they can't just go dump it on the ground. There's a whole bunch of contaminants and a whole bunch of nasties in that water and a whole bunch of salt in that water, which is about five to six times the amount that's in, in seawater. And so it's not something where traditional wastewater treatment can actually handle that. So we had to design a process over the last five years to kind of dissect that and, and figure out how do we actually do that and how do we make it cost-effective? How do we actually generate a sizable margin and at the same time, making it affordable for those oil and gas operators to do that. And what makes us different right now is we actually just have put on a desalination, which is the separation of salt from water. And we're working with a pretty interesting company and in a joint venture out from Pittsburgh that most of the companies in the production water world and the production water management world are either injecting their water into a disposal well 
they'll take their water, they'll shoot it right back down on the ground into a hole, which Pennsylvania doesn't have the luxury of doing because underneath Pennsylvania is about 3,000 foot of shale. And so the ground's not as permeable as one would think is in Michigan, where underneath Michigan is all sand. So they're forced legislatively in you'd have to treat this because there's nowhere really else to bring it. And if they were to transport this to some of the injection wells that are in places like Ohio and West Virginia, the cost on a per barrel basis is just uneconomical and doesn't make sense. And so with the ability to desalinate this water, our capacity has increased. We're able to start doing some learnings where when we desalinate this, we can actually pull this sodium chloride, the calcium chloride, the magnesium chloride out, and then turn that into a marketable product. So one of the things that, like I said, makes us extremely different is we're learning and have done and have turned our waste into a revenue stream. For other companies who are able to treat the water, no problem, they're left with a whole bunch of nasty radioactive waste. And we realized that that was one of the biggest issues. It's not treating the water, it's what do you do with the waste? That's where we're a bit differentiated. Well, that's really cool. And so with the process of starting a new company like that, I know you touched a little bit on the fundraising process, but what was the actual process like? Because I believe you have a couple of employees now working under you. What was that like from being within corporate America to now heading this company, having to go lead the direction of this company, make those strategic pivots as well, but then also thinking about payroll, thinking about hiring employees? What'd you think about that? It's a big step in a different direction. And your day-to-day mindset is completely different. You show up to work in corporate America and you're saying, how am I going to sell this? Or how am I going to sell that? Or how am I going to make my paycheck for my paycheck? When you're running your own company, you're trying to figure out how to make sure somebody else gets their paycheck. And again, like we built this company and put in our own money as well as investor money, but we've really focused on how do we build this so that it's worth something down the road. And some people make businesses and they pull out a little money to live. We're fortunate enough where we don't have to do that, but we're trying to build and build value in this company. And so the very moment that we got our seed capital, it was really one of those things of like, will this work? I mean, that was what seed capital is for is how do you take the smallest amount of money and prove out your business concept and prove to your investors that you have something? And so when we got our initial seed capital, we built our process and, and the ultimate goal was prove to us that you can actually run a viable business. And so in 16, we started, we built our process and we brought it to our current site in Titusville, Pennsylvania, which is Northwest Pennsylvania, and went off to the races. We knew the market was there. We knew the water was there. We knew that there was a demand there. And so that was one of the things that was really interesting to our investors. That the demand was there and the demand was huge and nobody was there to solve the problem. And so as expected, when you do good business planning, we walked into and opened up our facility and have been full for the last three years. And so now it's just more of a matter of how do you scale? And so we've kind of proven our point to them. And now we're actually in the middle of the next round, which prior to COVID, we had a pretty good deal going on a new round, but COVID kind of threw a wrench in things. And it actually worked out well because it allowed us to kind of iron some things out and throughout 2020. But now we're looking at raising another round and scaling up. And we've got some really exciting things. We're working with some large oil and gas producers. Just got off a Zoom call last week with a very, very big producer who is interested in what we're doing. And I think that over the next couple of years, you're going to see some big things at a GCI. Absolutely. I really appreciate you touching a little bit on that. And so over the past few years, have you seen an increase in the amount of companies that want to be more eco-friendly, more ESG friendly? I kind of keep my nose in the water world. So I can't really answer for outside of that. But I mean, I think in general, there's probably a, a drive for more environmentally sustainable companies. I know in the water world, it's a big pitch to investors, which is kind of ironic because I mean, I've been turned down by hundreds of investors, hundreds of VC firms, hundreds of PE firms, hundreds of banks 
And literally, that's what they're looking for, are environmentally friendly, sustainable companies. But I think they're, they're looking for more like straight technology, not somebody who's necessarily solved the service problem out. And so, but I think in the water world, there's a huge push for environmentally friendly. Water is one of our greatest resources in the world. And places like Texas, where there's a lot of water scarcity, they're starting to really look at what they're doing and how do they recover some of that water. And I think that's where we're going to be playing a big role in the future is how do you recover it rather than just get rid of it. So if those regulations weren't in place to treat the wastewater before it goes back into the environment, I guess, what would be some of the cause and effect that would happen within the local environment if those things weren't in place? I can tell you that there's probably already people who have dug buried tanks in the ground with holes in it, who they pump their water into a tank with holes in it, and it kind of seeps into the ground. They dump it in a river, they dump it in a pond, they just open a valve and let it kind of soak into the ground. But I mean, it's a hard thing because we're working with some small to mid-sized operators. So the mindset behind it, although it's terrible, I understand why they want to do it because they don't have the money to be able to do that, right? When oil is at $40 a barrel and it costs you $10 a barrel to discharge your water, and then you got to pay your lease payment, your royalties, and all your utilities and things like that. I mean, the margins become very slim. So like, I understand why they want to do that. I don't agree with what they're doing for sure. But when regulation comes into play, from an environmental standpoint, it really forces the hand of people to clean up their acts. And I think you'll see more regulation in places like Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, Texas is disposing into disposal wells millions and millions of barrels a day bag right down into the ground. And so if you look at, like I mentioned, there's water scarcity in Texas. I mean, if you can recycle, reuse, and clean that water for whether it's for agriculture or for industrial use, they're not pulling out of an aquifer or pulling out of the water source. There's going to be some big time changes. And if that passes, I think companies like ours are going to see some massive opportunity. It seems apparent across your career that you've been able to sustain excellence at a high level through multiple roles, whether it be at GCI, being a college professor now at CMU, or being the chief operating officer of merchandise outlets. Is this in part due to your work ethic or something else you attribute this to? I think success is a choice first. I really, truly believe that. I think that everybody has the ability to do great things depending. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. And success means different things to different people, right? Some people's success is money. Some people's success is stature. Some people's success is just being able to provide for their family. And so I think that's all very relative to individuals. But for me, I've always been instilled by my dad, who is an entrepreneur who also started and built merchandise outlet here with us as our family runs it to this day. He's always instilled this work ethic of going out there and being the best. And I think that that has really helped me throughout all of my entire career. And it probably started after college because in my undergrad, I was not the best student. I didn't have the best GPA. That's why I always preach to kids, especially in entrepreneur programs, like, yes, your GPA is important. Yes, your undergrad is important, but there's a lot more to being successful than just going to school and getting a 4.0. I've seen a lot of 4.0 students who don't make it in the world at a 2.5 person graduate. I'm not advocating for poor education, but I think that one of the things that for me personally, though, was I just wanted to be the best. And so when I started at the bank, I started opening checking accounts for people wandering in the bank in Chicago. And that obviously escalated to another role, which escalated to another role, which finally escalated to the private bank world that I was in. And when I got there, I kind of looked back and had to look at all of what I went through to actually get to that position, which I think is a really interesting thing in these times right now is there's a lot of expectations of kids. And I learned this in my college, my adjunct teaching 
is that there's a lot of people out there who think they're going to step into the real world. They're going to get this $200,000 a year job and they're going to be making all this money. And when they don't, they're disappointed. And so I think what I tried to do is, and hopefully you've said in my classes, is I was trying to let people know that it takes work and it takes effort and it takes drive to be successful and get to the places that some of us have. And so it's a mindset. It really is. You have to want it and you have to want it more than somebody else. And it's who wants it more? How bad do you want it? Of course. I think that's a great answer. And then you mentioned your dad a little bit. Would you consider him one of the biggest mentors that you had? And then can you describe like a moment or an important point in time where there's a specific moment that he helped teach you something? He definitely is a mentor to me. He's definitely somebody I look up to. I think that there's probably a different relationship than that, than more of a mentor, more of a kind of father role in that. But one of my biggest mentors is actually our investor, our current investor. I mean, he started off as a client of mine. We developed a really great relationship and we have full trust in each other. He trusts that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and that we're going to be bringing our company in the right direction. And he's just taught me a lot of things even prior to being an investor to us in, in the business world. And he's a very successful, he was a trader at Citadel and now he runs his own hedge fund. And so he's had a lot of success in his life too. And he's somebody who I look up to and he makes me think in a different way and challenges my thinking. And I think that's really like what a good mentor is, is somebody who, especially as an entrepreneur, because everything in your mind as an entrepreneur is right. You're always right. And your ideas are always the best. And the direction that you're thinking is always the right direction to go to. But there has to be somebody in your life who challenges your thinking and says, hey, wait a minute. What about this? What about that? Okay. Yeah, you're right. So maybe I'm thinking about things in a little bit differently of a way or an unrealistic way, because every entrepreneur thinks they're going to get this X market share. And that as soon as they open the doors that all these people are going to come in and, and everything from your financial projections are going to be exactly what they are. And that's it's not the case. And so I would say that from a mentor standpoint, I mean, my father is definitely somebody who's very influential in my life and I respect him very much and for what he's built on our other business side. And in a certain way, he does mentor me, but he's more of a passive person in my career than some of the others. I think that point that you mentioned about the challenging of the thinking is definitely a big point. I remember that a recent startup that actually failed pretty spectacularly. We work, I think not enough people were questioning him, Adam Newman across the way. So most entrepreneurs are so, and this might sound terrible, but a lot of them are so like, not self-centered in a bad way, but they're tunnel vision thinking. Whatever I'm thinking about right now is the right answer. I've got this all figured out. And I see this all the time. I work with like CMURC and some of the new venture stuff. And I'm probably one of the only people who poke holes in everybody's business plan and, and like the guy who wrecks people's dreams because there needs to be a bit of, of honesty with stuff. If a business idea is not going to work, like we shouldn't coddle people and tell them that this is a great idea when it's either a bad product or the market's not there, or there's a million competition, which is going to create challenges, which again, I mean, isn't discouraging people to, from <laughs> pursuing their dreams and their ideas, but there has to be some sort of honesty. There has to be someone to really check you and challenge your ideas and your thinking. Because as you mentioned before, even with us, like there might be a pivot opportunity. There might be something that comes out of that idea that turns into something else that is even greater than what you thought it was in the first place. Perfect. No, I appreciate you mentioning that. And so for those people who want to learn more about yourself or GCI, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? We're obviously a kind of a niche company. So we've got a website, which is gci-water.com. It's pretty basic. But I think that we're one of those companies who we're kind of hidden in a couple of different layers of the oil and gas industry and probably a bit confusing to most if you don't understand the engineering side and the technology side. But I think the ultimate thing is that we want to do something that's good for the environment. We want to do something that's good for the oil and gas. And I think 
there's kind of this stigma on oil and gas that it's this huge, dirty mess. And we're here to say that we can help change that a little bit and turn it into something that's a little bit more clean energy focused. Well, thank you for mentioning that. And so thank you for listening to another episode of Mint Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com.